This is a Federal News Network podcast. The Biden administration's management agenda, which it called a vision, laid out three basic principles, boosting the federal workforce, improving citizen service, and using the bureaucracy to achieve the administration's agenda. New stuff or old wine in a new bottle. We get one view from the president and CEO of the National Academy of Public Administration, Terry Girton. Terry, good to have you on. Hi, Tom. Happy to be here. Thanks so much. So what is your reaction? This was called a vision for the president's management agenda. Is it a vision for an agenda or is it a vision for management, do you think? Well, that's a great question. I will say, you know, when I read it through the first time, it felt like I was walking into a concert where everybody was playing my favorite tunes in a key I could sing. There's a lot of words in here that so closely align for how they want government to operate. The proof, as always, will be in the pudding. Well, this was simpler than some of the earlier management agendas, and it didn't go into a lot of detail. It had strategies, a couple of strategies under each of the main points, but those were not really detailed things for the bureaucracy to get going and do now. Does that seem to be in keeping with most past presidential management agendas, or those came out later in administrations with more detail? Right. I think, as I understand it, their plan is to share more of the specific performance management goals when they roll out the 23 budget and along with those, the performance metrics that they're going to track. So that's pretty consistent. About the first year in with the first submission of the budget, you get that much more detail. This is a little bit unusual in terms of sort of laying out the roadmap up front saying this is how we're going to go forward and we're following up with the particulars later. But I think this does a nice job of, as we've talked before, being consistent with many of the things that previous administrations have done so that there's continuity because trying to turn the federal government ship, you know, is not a one-term project. You need to be continuing to work over years and sometimes decades to make sure that you make those changes. So I think that there is some good there around continuity, especially in some of the basic management processes. For those in federal management, managers and senior executives, there is a repeated and strong emphasis on the right to join a union, almost as if they're encouraging anyone who's already not in a union in the federal government, will go ahead and join one. Should managers feel that that's speaking to them or what's your sense of how that's going to go? Well, I think the Biden administration has been really clear that they support every individual's right to participate in a union. But from a federal manager's perspective, I think what's far more important is the broader context that they set for that, which is that they want the federal workplace to be a model employer. And that means that people have good jobs, meaningful jobs, that they're treated with respect, that they have the technology that they need to get their work done. And then along with that, they suggest the opportunity to participate in union activity. So I think of it as a much broader agenda for the federal workforce. You know, we start to see them moving out in that direction already, modifying telework policies and those kinds of things. So if I was a federal manager today, I would take the broader look at what this conveys about their goals for the federal workforce. Because with respect to the union movement in general, I mean, the statutory role of the federal government has been to be a referee between either federal agencies and unions or companies and unions and not to take sides. And so they shouldn't be anti-union, but they shouldn't be pro-union. They should be pro. It's up to you guys. So do you think this mitigates a little bit too far to one way? Well, again, you know, this is clearly trying to address the swing in the pendulum of the previous administration that went all the way to the other side. So I suspect that it will settle kind of in the middle and managers should be permissive 
Um, they need to provide the support that's required in law. But again, the whole goal of this, and I think it really gets to the values that are communicated in the vision here, treating people with dignity, looking for equity in outcomes. Those are really key principles that should allow managers to better construct their workplace. We're speaking with Terry Girton, president and CEO of the National Academy of Public Administration. There's also emphasis on the Office of Personnel Management, which for better or for worse, was kind of battered up during the Trump administration and is trying to regain footing as, you know, what should its role be permanently here in the federal workforce? So would you say that's an encouraging sign to see OPM the subject of a rebuild? Well, absolutely. Of course, Tom, you and I have talked in the past about the Academy's recent report on how to rebuild OPM. So this idea that their very first priority is on rebuilding the federal workforce, what that means in terms of modernized recruiting and retention and training and talent development, those are all exactly the things that we've been hoping to see as actions that would come out of our recommendations and as we've said all along, you know, this is an ambitious agenda. You can't accomplish it if you don't have the right people in the right seats. And so OPM has to be a central player in anything this administration is going to do, because if they can't get the right people on board, then the rest of the agenda, as ambitious as it is, is sort of just pie in the sky. And one other thing I wanted to ask you about in there is the emphasis on training and development of people at all levels of the government. And as you know, you know, the training is often a budget item that's the first to go when times get tight. So I guess it's encouraging, and you can tell me if you agree, that there is that emphasis on development of people because none of this can happen without making sure people know how to be good at what they do and how to manage. That will be a key test of how this goes forward is to see in the FY23 budget when they submit it, what resources are allocated to that kind of training and development, how they make the case for continued leadership development, for example, training of new managers, and whether then the request stays in the budget all the way through appropriation. And that will be true for many of the other recommendations or directions, I guess, would be appropriate in this document is we see what the words say and are encouraged by them. Now we want to make sure that there are actually resources available to accomplish them, because many of these are, if not substantial changes, at least extensions and expansions of projects that are sort of already underway. And so making sure that there are the resources shows the commitment to make sure that they actually make progress on this vision. And of course, every administration wants to improve service to the citizen, I think was the term used originally. That was a movement that started, mm -hmm. I think, in the late 80s at this point. And now we have customer experience and all of those things. And there's a lot of emphasis on that, you know, point two, the central pillar of the whole thing is serving citizens better. Your reaction there? Well, I think it's absolutely key. I mean, one of the things that we have seen in spades throughout the pandemic is that people need to be able to interact with their government in a much more efficient and effective way. And one of the things that the Academy is learning through our work on agile government is that the effectiveness of that citizen experience has a lot to do with how much those people then trust their government and deliver results. So I think there's some really interesting points in here about imagining life cycle points and how you don't just deal with a single federal agency, but how is your experience across all of those? And, you know, an example is turning 65 and having to file for Social Security. You have to deal with several federal agencies, and yet each one of them is a different and unique set of contact points, a set of data that you have to provide. So this idea that you could think about 
life cycle points where people have to interact with the government and what that looks like and feels like and do it from the citizen's perspective has the potential to really dramatically change how government approaches, uh, certainly at the federal level, uh, data sharing, security, privacy, and integration of systems. So I'm really excited to see this focus. And, you know, it's very much in align with things that the Academy has been talking about for quite a while. And one final question on the issue of accountability. It does mention accountability in that pillar. Yet, if you look at the Trump administration's management agenda, it was all about, without stating it directly in these words, getting rid of the poor performers as fast as possible. This takes the opposite approach to you know, elevating civil servants and civil service. Do you think that maybe there should be a balance there between, yes, we want to make your job great, but yes, you got to perform or you won't be here? I take a slightly different perspective on the accountability question here, which is I think they want the administration to be held accountable for the changes that it's promising. And that can only happen in a world where they really make progress on data sharing, performance measurement, integration of systems, performance reporting. And so I think they are very intentional about being held accountable by citizens for this agenda. And to do that, they're going to have to put all of the pieces and processes in place that allow people to see the data, to believe that data, and then to take appropriate action to make sure that the administration is delivering on what it's promised. I guess then the next thing to look at with a lot of interest will be the new federal employee viewpoint scores. Well, that will be key, and it will be interesting to see how they follow from last year's when they kind of went up as people were enjoying and appreciating the opportunity to work remotely. But I think there's also another piece that's really important in this vision, and that is the how we'll get there section, where it talks about some of the things we were just mentioning, right? A focus on data management and data integration, a focus on systems that better serve the citizens So it actually lays out some things that hint at next steps and the engagement of the president's management council, all of the major agency deputy secretaries have signed on to this. And that's something we haven't seen before. So they are laying out a plan. They're showing a little bit of their cards about how they plan to go forward. And so now I think, you know, it's up to all of us to watch that, to make sure that we see evidence of real progress and then that we track the metrics and make sure that improved performance is the result. Terry Gurton is president and CEO of the National Academy of Public Administration. As always, great to have you on. Tom, always a pleasure to be here. Thank you. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Subscribe to the Federal Drive at Podcast One or wherever you get your shows. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? 
Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual, actual uh, afloat commands. Uh, the first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, and then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life, and um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style, and how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin. And what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about but that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I, we'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from C to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career. But really, it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up. Uh, make decisions. 
uh, do what you think is right and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes. When I was at Navy Federal, I would tell sea stories uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment, and it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book, and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon. Uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons in, in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing, if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, WAPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler, and to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast. We'll see you next time. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you're sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, Think twice before sending money through an app or online. Winter season is here, and Discount Tire wants you to stay safe on the road. Get 30% shorter average wait time when you buy and book online at DiscountTire.com. Discount Tire, let's get you taken care of.